That's where we are. We're looking at a series of muscles that are going to now travel down the back of the forearm. We haven't done that yet, have we? We just ended up by looking at the back of the hand, then we quit, right? I think so. Okay. So we've already looked at the brachioradialis muscle. We looked at that when we took a look at the design of the boundaries for that cubital fossa, the space in the front of your elbow joint. We've considered the brachioradialis muscle came from Lateral supracondylar ridge came down to the styloid process, was innervated by the radial nerve, and we used it to flex the elbow joint. So we considered that. We also considered the extensor carpi radialis longus at that same time because um, when you take a look at the cubital fossa region, that muscle was in there. It came from a little bit lower down on the lateral supracondylar ridge of the humerus, would go underneath the extensor retinaculum, would attach to the base of the uh, metacarpal of your index finger, the second metacarpal here. We had it innervated by the radial nerve before the radial nerve split into its superficial and its deep branches. We had it passing behind the elbow joint and it could assist a little bit in extension of the elbow, but its most important responsibility would be to assist in extending the wrist. And because it's on the lateral side, it would assist in abducting the wrist, moving the wrist outward. So we, we looked at that when we took a look at that design of the cubital fossa region there. That would be our extensor carpi radialis longus. Right underneath it will be the extensor carpi radialis brevis. So it comes from a little bit lower down on the lateral supracondylar ridge, and the, you might describe it as the lateral epicondyle. We'll use the lateral epicondyle as a common extensor origin for the extensor muscles traveling down the back of your forearm for extending your wrists and then traveling uh, uh, to allow you then to extend some of the um, articulations in your fingers. So that would be our extensor carpi radialis brevis. We'll put it underneath the retinaculum and have it attached to the base of the third metacarpal, metacarpal of your middle finger. It'll be innervated by uh, the deep branch off the radial. That's what I've just... Now you're going to end up with, when you take a look at some, and I think when I show you something uh, at the very end, a slightly different terminology, but we're looking at the same thing. We use the deep branch off that radial in order to supply the supinator muscle. The deep branch went through the supinator. We had the deep branch supplying as well the extensor carpi radialis brevis. And then the continuation of that deep branch down the back was going to be the posterior interosseous. So from now on, from everything else that we're going to look at today, they will all be innervated by the branches off the posterior interosseous nerve, which is the continuation of that of the deep radial. So we're still going to go behind the elbow joint a little bit, so we'll assist in extending the elbow, but its most important responsibility would be to extend the wrist. And once again, because it's on the uh, lateral side, it would be an abductor of the wrist, it would move the wrist outward. Same kind of story that we would have for the extensor carpi radialis longus. Then we move over and we have the extensor digitorum or extensor digitorum communis, sometimes 
referred to, common extensor of the digits. We're going to pick it up from the uh, lateral epicondyle, which is going to be our common um, origin for the, a lot of these extensor muscles. We will have it then go underneath the retinaculum, split into four tendons, one for each of your four fingers, not your thumb, but your, your medial uh, four digits will be the attachment then of the extensor digitorum or extensor digitorum communis, innervated by the posterior interosseous nerve, which is that the, the split of, off of the radial into, when it's split into, into superficial and deep. Um, and then the deep would become then the posterior interosseous. And we have this one. Let's see if I find where I put my picture for this one. Probably not going to find it. Okay, let's go back the other way. We had this one, as we mentioned before, because we looked at the lumbricals and we looked at the interossei muscles. We had this one uh, forming on the top of each of your four fingers, this dorsal expansion. They call it, in this case, the extensor hood. So we're going to end up with a fairly thin aponeurotic hood here at the level of the first phalanx head of the first metacarpal. In theory, the tendon for the extensor digitorum communis is going to stop at the second phalanx. That's where it ends. But you can see by, the dorsal, by this dorsal expansion, this extensor hood mechanism, and by the continuation here by these lateral bands coming along this way, and we had the lumbricals and the interossei muscles coming up and blending by these lateral bands into that extensor hood, we're now able to get movement at the terminal phalanx of each of your four fingers. So, when you're looking at the actual tendon of the extensor digitorum communis, it stops at the second phalanx. But because of this hood mechanism, this dorsal expansion or hood mechanism, and we also have the attachments of the lumbricals and the interossei by these lateral bands coming up this way, we're now going to be able to have complete extension of the digit. We'll, have a, we'll be able then to extend the second interphalangeal joint of each of your four fingers by this um, fairly elaborate network on the back of each of your fingers in that fashion. So that would be then the extensor digitorum communis. Technically, it would take you to the second phalanx, so it would be then, you'd then be uh, able then to assist in extending the wrist, but it, it, its most important responsibilities would be then extension of the metacarpophalangeal joint of, your finger, of the four fingers, and then technically extension of only the first interphalangeal joint from that tendon alone. But by that expansion, and by the movement of the interossei and the lumbricals by those lateral bands that come up, we're now able then to get to the end of the finger, and so we'll now be able to, to extend the second interphalangeal joint of each of your four fingers. It's a fairly elaborate mechanism in, allow, in allowing you to be able to do that. All right, so that would be then the, as far as the extensor digitorum communis muscle would go. All right, so let's go back and probably should have put that guy a little bit. All right, and then, and I don't think I have it, and I should have, right. You're going to have to write this one in. There will be what sometimes is referred to as a lateral, uh, not a lateral, but a medial slip off of the digitorum communis. It's going to be a separate muscle that will go to the little finger all by itself. It will be the extensor digiti minimi. That's this one. Now, the extensor digiti minimi will come from the lateral epicondyle of the humerus. So the origin for it will be the lateral epicondyle. That will be the origin for extensor digiti minimi. The attachment of it will be into the dorsal expansion for the little finger. 
So your little finger is going to end up with two tendons attaching it for extending. It will have a tendon from the extensor digitorum communis, and it'll have a tendon from the extensor digiti minimi. Those two tendons are going to be associated with the little finger. And they, the tendon for the extensor digiti minimi is going to blend in with the dorsal expansion on the back of your little finger. That will be its attachment. So it's going to allow you, once again, to pull on that dorsal expansion and then allow for extension of both interphalangeal joints. And it would also assist then in, the, in extending the metacarpophalangeal joints, straighten up your little finger entirely, would be the responsibility of the digiti minimi. And once again, everything that we're talking about uh, past the extensor carpi radialis brevis is all going to be innervated through the posterior interosseous nerve, the continuation of the deep radial as it tracks down the back of the forearm. So we have a, 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 a similar common story for all the nerve, nerve innervation for the rest of the muscles we're going to talk about. That would be then the extensor digiti minimi. That's this little guy here coming down, and it would then attach into the dorsal expansion. Then if we come over one more, we're, we're going to have the extensor carpi ulnaris. Extensor carpi ulnaris will come from, once again, the, the lateral epicondyle. Picks up a little bit of attachment from the ulna itself, but its major attachment will be from the common extensor origin of the lateral epicondyle. It's going to come down. Once again, its tendon will now pass underneath the extensor retinaculum, and then it'll attach to the base of the fifth metacarpal, metacarpal of your little finger. Will be, the response, will be the attachment for the extensor carpi ulnaris. Same story, going to be innervated by the posterior interosseous nerve. Same story, it goes behind the elbow, so it'll assist a little bit in elbow extension, but it's most, most of its responsibility will be down at the wrist to extend the wrist. And because it's on the medial side now, it will assist in adducting the wrist and moving the wrist inward. So that anything that we have that is traveling either on the front or the back, doesn't matter whether they're flexing or extending, if it's on the medial side, like the flexor carpi ulnaris is on this side, the extensor carpi ulnaris is on this side, they will both adduct the wrist. They'll both move the wrist inward. And on this side, we had the flexor carpi radialis. And on the back side, we had extensor carpi radialis longus and brevis. They will both assist in the movement of abducting and moving the wrist outward this way. So it doesn't matter whether you're on the flexor side or the extensor side. Adducting will be muscles that travel down the medial side abducting of the wrist will be muscles traveling down the lateral side. Okay? So that's then a look at the, the muscles at that level. Extensor carpi radialis longus, brevis, extensor digitorum communis, and then over a little bit more, extensor digi digiti minimi for the, uh, for the little finger, and then way over on the little finger side, the medial side, extensor carpi ulnaris. And all of them are going to go underneath the extensor retinaculum, and then they'll have their various locations where they attach uh, onto the metacarpals uh, with the digiti minimi running into the dorsal expansion of the little finger. All right. Then there are a series of muscles sometimes referred to as outcropping muscles. Now here's our grouping of muscles we looked at that we just looked at. And you can see at a deeper level we have a series of muscles coming out this way a majority of them are going to help service the thumb. One is going to go to be a second extensor for the uh, index finger, extensor indices. But these are sometimes referred to as outcropping because they come out of the, this margin of this lateral edge here of the muscles we just looked at, those guys. So those would include, if we come over here, up to this side, abductor pollicis longus in order to be able then to abduct the thumb. 
will come from the interosseous membrane, will come from the ulna, and, a little, and from the shaft of the radius. The abductor pollicis longus will go underneath and attach here to the base of the first metacarpal. The metacarpal of your, um, metacarpal of your thumb will be the attachment for the abductor pollicis longus. That will be this one. Once again, all these muscles are going to be innervated through the posterior interosseous nerve. And as you can see from its description, it will be a muscle that will assist in abducting the thumb. So remember, when we move the thumb, we flex the thumb by moving it across the palm of the hand. We extend the thumb by moving it back the other way. You abduct the thumb by moving it back away from the palm of the hand. You adduct the thumb by moving it back in towards the palm of the hand. So this one is an abductor, and it's going to be attached to the base of the metacarpal of your, of your thumb. Going that way. Now, we already had an abductor pollicis brevis as part of the thenar muscle group, so that's why we have to designate this one as a longus. If you remember, the thenar muscle group had an abductor pollicis brevis associated, flexor pollicis brevis, abductor pollicis brevis, and opponent's pollicis were the muscles associated with the thenar muscle group. This, was a, this one then gives you the abductor pollicis longus muscle. This way. And then right next to it, coming from the interosseous membrane and from the back shaft of the radius, will be my extensor pollicis brevis. It's going to go to the first phalanx of your thumb. And these two are the ones that I, I put together when I talk about them because these two have the radius as a fairly common attachment. Extensor pollicis brevis coming down this way will then attach to the first phalanx of your thumb. It won't go to the end. It'll only go to the first base of the first. Then, if we come over and take a look at the muscles more over here on, from the ulnar side, we have the extensor pollicis longus muscle from the interosseous membrane, from the back shaft of the, of the ulna, coming down and hooking around that dorsal tubercle that's on the back of the radius. It helps to change the direction of that tendon, rearranges it and directs it over this way so that we end up attaching to the terminal phalanx of your thumb. And as you can tell, it, it will be then a muscle for extending the joints of the thumb, allowing for thumb extension to occur. So it's going to give you the ability to extend the carpal metacarpal joint that we looked at. It'll allow you then for extension of the metacarpal phalangeal joint, and it's also going to allow you for extension of the interphalangeal joint. It'll allow you to straighten your thumb up. So if you're trying to, if you hold your hand like this and you try to lift your thumb as high as you can or hard as you can up, then you're using that extensor pollicis longus muscle for complete extension of the thumb in that fashion. And once again, same story as we had before, it's going to be the posterior interosseous nerve that's going to supply the extensor pollicis longus. It's going to take us down to the end of the thumb. It's going to be use that dorsal tubercle kind of as a, a little pulley, and it redirects the, the, the direction of the tendon to get down to the end of the thumb that way. And then a little bit lower down, once again, from the interosseous membrane from the back shaft of the ulna, we have a secondary extensor for your index finger, extensor indices. And the extensor indices tendon will blend in with the dorsal expansion on the back side of your index finger. So your little finger and your index finger end up with two separate extensor tendons, one from the extensor digitorum communis and the other one from either extensor digiti minimi or extensor indices. Which could explain, explains in part a little bit why we have a little bit more dexterity with your index finger and your little finger as opposed to the two, that's not the only reason, as opposed to the uh, two middle fingers. A lot of times it's more difficult to move individually your two middle fingers without 
the other one moving, but we tend to have a little bit more dexterity with the index finger and our little finger because we end up with two different uh, extensor uh, tendons to them and it allows for a little bit more uh, finer control. It's not the only reason, um, but when we get to take a look at the uh, joints in the hand, we'll come back and, and have, a, have a look at uh, why the middle fingers are sometimes a little bit difficult to move individually. Okay, so that's then our look at those muscles. Abductor pollicis longus takes us to the base of the metacarpal. Extensor pollicis brevis takes us to the base of the first phalanx. Extensor pollicis longus takes us right down to the end, to the terminal phalanx of the thumb. And extensor indices is going to blend in with the dorsal expansion on the back of your index finger. And the names of these muscles really tell you their primary responsibility, right? Depending upon how far, uh, at least with the thumb, how far down they go, where they uh, end up attaching. And all innervated through the um, posterior interosseous. Okay. And what's our next step? Uh, oh, here's a look at the extensor pollicis longus tendon, going all the way down to the terminal phalanx of your thumb. Here is our, no, sorry, yes, extensor pollicis longus. Here is the pollicis brevis, and here is the abductor. It creates a little bit of a pocket in between the longus and the brevis. Sometimes if you, if you pull your thumb back really hard and feel with your other thumb in between, you can get a little bit of a pocket between the longus and the brevis tendon. If you roll your thumb around a little bit more, you can feel the little bit thicker abductor tendon coming around this way a little bit. This little spot here is referred to as the anatomical snuff box. It's located between the longus and the brevis, but then the abductor is over here. It's a little bit thicker. And it, these two on one side and the longest on the other side create this little pocket, referred to as the anatomical snuff box. Okay. There's a look at those tendons as they pass across the back surface of the radius and the ulna. I just wanted to point out the fact that you can see how that dorsal tubercle is going to redirect the tendon of the extensor pollicis longus. It's going to bend it so that it takes a more direct route towards the thumb in that fashion. And here you can see some of the things that we have, uh, that we've looked at. And that's kind of the, the synovial packages for those tendons passing on the extensor side. It's, this is not included in the don't, so you don't worry about this particular picture. I just put it in to give you the idea that that dorsal tubercle uh, is going to cause that tendon to change its direction and and make a, a straighter line towards the terminal phalanx of your thumb. Okay. So now what are we looking for? Mm. Go back, I guess. Uh, uh, we looked at this. This is kind of a review. We had the radial nerve coming this way. We had it supplying the brachioradialis. It will supply the extensor carpi radialis longus. It's going to split into its superficial branch and its deep branch. Deep branch will go through the supinator and supply it. Deep branch will supply the extensor, uh, the extensor carpi radialis brevis. And then we'll pick it up as it's gone through the supinator on the backside, take it down the back as the posterior interosseous. And we had the posterior interosseous supplying all those other muscles that we talked about on the back of the forearm in that fashion. And on the uh, circulatory side, we had the split of the brachial 
artery at about the level of the uh, radial tuberosity into a radial and an ulnar. The ulnar here will give, a, give off a common interosseous, which we talked about. The common interosseous will give off an anterior and a posterior. The anterior will travel down the front surface of the interosseous membrane and the posterior will travel down the back side of the interosseous membrane. And here we have the artery and the posterior interosseous nerve traveling together down the back side here, giving off branches that will supply the muscles on the back surface of your, of your forearm. So we've looked at that. We've discussed, we've looked at that, that point. And uh, we did talk about, and we have discussed a little bit, the dorsal expansion. We looked at it here, and we mentioned that this dorsal expansion would include the tendon of the extensor digitorum, so that's this one. And then we have that network on the head of the metacarpal over the first phalanx. We had running into that dorsal expansion interossei muscle and lumbrical muscles. The interossei muscles primarily responsible for the adducting and abducting of your fingers, squeezing your fingers together, the three palmers and the four dorsals spreading your fingers apart. And the lumbrical muscles were going to allow you for this particular movement where you're pulling on the dorsal expansion and you're going to get then flexion of the metacarpophalangeal joint, that's bending of the big knuckle. But by pulling on the dorsal expansion this way, you're going to get extension of the interphalangeal joint. So that by pulling by these lumbrical muscles, that's how we're eventually, by pulling on that dorsal expansion, that's how eventually we're going to be able then to straighten out the finger entirely, get extension of that second interphalangeal joint. Okay, so we've taken a look at that. And now we've incorporated the extensor digitorum tendon in it. And if this was the index finger, it would have a separate one, the extensor indices also running into the dorsal expansion. And if this was the little finger, it would, all, it would have the extensor digiti minimi also running into that dorsal expansion. Okay. And then, as I said in the notes, this is in theory as to how they're supposed to work all by themselves. But basically, when, when we want to move our fingers, move your thumb and your other four fingers, we, we use a whole series of muscles to give us that very fine movement that we can achieve in it with our fingers. Uh, so they all kind of work together. This, is the, this, in theory, is how those individual muscles would work if they were all by themselves and that's all we had to use in order to move your fingers. But the muscles of the hands work uh, in unison in order to give us the very fine movements that we can achieve with, with our digits. Okay. And that one, we don't need that one. This one gives you a little bit of an idea of the circulation on the back of the hand. We looked at the, the plantar surface, the, the, plantar, the palmar surface, the back of the dorsal surface. We'll get some, a network on the back of your hand, an arterial network. Some of it derived from the radial, some of it's going to be derived from the ulnar, making up this dorsal network on the back of your hand. And we'll get digital branches on the back of your hand coming down here for your fingers. So that the radial and the ulnar are going to contribute to this arterial network on the dorsal surface. Okay. The posterior interosseous artery really almost quits at about the level of the wrist. It doesn't do much. It, it will blend in with some of these arteries here, but it really quits about here. You notice the anterior interosseous 
is going to then go um, underneath the, uh, not underneath, but below the level of the interosseous membrane. And you notice you can see that the anterior interosseous plays a fairly dis important role in contributing now to the arterial supply on the back of the hand. You notice this is a posterior division of the anterior interosseous. If you take a look at uh, some of the, closely look at some of the pictures, uh, where did I have that one? There you can see that the anterior interosseous artery has now poked below the level of the interosseous membrane is now on the back surface of the hand and it will be a contributor to that arterial supply on the back of the hand. Along with the radial and the ulnar, they're going to form kind of a network on the, uh, on the back of the hand, but the um, anterior interosseous also pokes over and has a, a role to play. The posterior interosseous almost quits here at the, at the level of the, of the wrist joint. It doesn't really go much further than that in its distribution. Okay. And what else have I got? That was a look at the cutaneous distribution. We talked about that on the palmar side and on the dorsal side. And if we're on the dorsal side, we had the dorsal branch off the ulnar would supply the little finger and the medial half of your ring finger. The superficial radial will supply the areas in, in whatever that is, purple. And notice that they basically a good way to describe it is the fingernail beds of the thumb, index finger, middle finger, and the lateral half of your ring finger would all be supplied by the median nerve. And the median nerve over here would have a palmar branch, and then the ma main trunk would go underneath. And then the median nerve, for this, all this is giving you is the cutaneous distribution. It has no muscular components to it. So all of this would then be the cutaneous distribution from the median nerve and its branches when it was in the hand. And here would be then the uh, cutaneous uh, supplied by the ulnar nerve, the superficial branch of the ulnar nerve here with the uh, palmar branch of the, of the ulnar nerve giving us some supply way down here. But the rest of all this green would be supplied by the superficial branch of the ulnar. And then once again, remember we had the dorsal one coming around to the back and that would give us this distribution here. And keep in mind, this is all cutaneous. It has nothing to do with the, whatever muscles these uh, particular nerves are going to supply in the hand. It's just, just a cutaneous mapping. And it, if you look at other uh, resources, you'll, you'll see that it's not, sometimes they, they're a little bit different in the way they divide it up. Um, but this tends to be the, the most um, common way that it would be described. All right. And that one, I was just going to show you the fact that we were looking at that um, design of the coming off the uh, dorsal network on the back of your hand on the venous side coming around this way we would have the cephalic vein travels here this would be that this would be then our um, anatomical snuff box between the extensor pollicis longus and the combination of the extensor pollicis brevis and the abductor gives us that little space and here we had the radial artery. Remember the radial artery divided into a superficial and a deeper branch. The deep branch went back around the base of the metacarpal, first metacarpal, went between the two heads of the first dorsal interosseous muscle and then came across the palm. Well then we're looking at that radial artery as it goes, as it's going around the base of the first metacarpal, also associated with this space between the 
extensor pollicis longus and the pollicis brevis and the abductor. So here's the tracking of that radial artery this way, and then it's going to go between the two heads of the first dorsal interosseous, that guy there, and then it would then travel across the palm of the hand as the main contributor for the deep palmar arch, right? Make sense? Okay. Okay, and I was going to do one other thing here before we... Uh, no, I got to do this, right? Get out of that. All right, let's see where we are over here. Let's see how this comes out. Okay, this is just a look at a summary of what we've done so far and taking a look at it. Here is the median nerve and all of its responsibilities that we looked at, right? This is a summary of it all. So we had it over here. We had it uh, at the level of the uh, elbow. We said the median nerve was going to be on the medial side of the brachial artery. So we have it here. We had the median, the... Uh, nerve supplying, the median nerve supplying the pronator teres, coming around this way. We had it supplying the flexor carpi radialis, the palmaris longus, the flexor digitorum superficialis. Right? We had it giving off an anterior interosseous, which was a deeper branch off of the nerve that would travel down the interosseous membrane. And from that, we were then going to supply the deeper muscles on the front of the forearm. That would be the flexor pollicis longus, pronator quadratus. And if you remember, it's going to supply the only half of the flexor digitorum profundus. The lateral half of the flexor digitorum profundus would be supplied by the anterior osseous nerve. The other side of it would be supplied by the ulnar nerve. The medial portion of the profundus is supplied by the ulnar nerve in the forearm. So we've looked at that. And here's our an anterior osseous coming around that way. And then we took it in the wrist and we gave off a palmar branch which went over top of the retinaculum. We then went underneath the retinaculum. We had the uh, recurrent branch off the median nerve supplying the, the, uh, the thenar muscle group, abductor pollicis brevis, flexor pollicis brevis, opponent pollicis. Sometimes you're, you're going to get uh, a couple of variations on this one. Um, there will be some that will say that portions of this one will be innervated by the deep branch of the ulnar nerve. But on my notes, I put this one as solely coming from the recurrent. And then you leave it that way. So don't get thrown off when you're taking a look at these things, these pictures, and saying, ah, that's not what he said. Uh, when we take a look at the ulnar nerve and its pathways, you'll find that they'll come back and say this flexor pollicis brevis might be innervated by the deep branch of the ulnar. But in my notes, I've got it innervated by the recurrent branch of the median. So leave it that way. We did say that it would do the first two lumbricals, the lumbricals associated uh, with the index finger the tendon for the flexor digitorum profundus for the index finger and the tendon of the profundus associated with your middle finger, those two lumbrical muscles would be innervated by the median nerve. And then this gives you, once again, the cutaneous distribution that we just looked at uh, in that picture. So that would then give us the complete kind of rundown of what we had for the median nerve. This one would be the muscular cutaneous nerve that we looked at. We're going to supply the coracobrachialis. We'll go through the coracobrachialis. 
will supply both heads of the bicep brachii, will supply the brachialis, and keep in mind we said before you might run into some that will say the portions of the brachialis will be supplied by the radial nerve, the lateral portions of it. Uh, in this case they haven't said that in here. Well, then we take the muscular cutaneous and take it down into the forearm as a lateral cutaneous nerve of the forearm. That would be its cutaneous distribution. So we've looked at that, right? That's our muscular cutaneous. We'll take it back up this way a little bit. This will be the ulnar nerve and what we've looked at. We had the ulnar nerve up here on the medial side of the brachial artery. We had the ulnar nerve supplying the flexor carpi ulnaris. We had it supplying the medial half of the flexor digitorum profundus. We had a palmar cutaneous we had a dorsal cutaneous, dorsal cutaneous going around the back of the hand, and uh, it was going to supply the, the back of your little finger and the medial half of your ring finger. We had that one, and we had the um, palmar one coming this way. And keep in mind that the ulnar nerve um, is going to pass uh, on the medial side of the ulnar artery when we get to the wrist, right? And both of those things were going to go over top of the retinaculum but there was a little bit of a covering for them to create that little canal, but the two of the structures, the nerve and the artery down at the wrist, were going to go over top of the retinaculum. And then when we get into the further down, we've got the uh, ulnar nerve by its deep branch supplying the hypothenar muscle group, flexor digiti minimi, abductor digiti minimi, opponus digiti minimi, coming around this way had the superficial branch supplying the palmaris brevis. Came around this way. This all, that superficial branch would give you cutaneous for palmar side of those digits, little finger, and the medial half of your ring finger on the palmar side, there. We had the deep branch of the ulnar supplying all seven interossei muscles. We had it supplying the medial two lumbrical muscles. Uh, the ones that would be generated from the tendon of the profundus for the middle finger and the, and the uh, no, sorry, the ring finger and the little finger, which would be these ones. And you'll notice that they have included the ulnar nerve as a supplier for the flexor pollicis brevis. Uh, when up at the beginning, when we looked at the, uh, the median nerve, I had the flexor pollicis brevis supplied by the recurrent branch of the median nerve. It depends upon what you're looking at uh, depends upon uh, the individual author. Okay, and then well, went too far. Radial. We're looking at supplying the three heads of the tricep: long head, medial head, lateral head traveling back behind the humerus along with the deep brachial artery. The two of them are going to use that spiral groove or radial groove to go back behind the, art, the, the humerus. We had it supplying the anconius. Now, as I mentioned, these people are going to say it's going to supply a little bit of the lateral part of the brachialis. In my notes, I don't have that. So just stick with the, um, just stick with the brachialis being supplied 100% by the muscular cutaneous. But you, you'll run into that uh, d description here. 
we had it supplying the brachial radialis and we had it supplying the extensor carpi radialis longus. And then we had it splitting into superficial and deep. And then we had the deep one going through the supinator and supplying the supinator. We had it going there. And in my notes, I have the, this branch, before they referred to it as posterior interosseous, I have it supplying the extensor carpi radialis brevis. Once again, you're going to run into a, diff a slightly different description depending upon what book and what source you're looking at. This would be my superficial branch off of the radial, coming across this way. And that's going to be cut only cutaneous. When I get down a little further, that'll be cutaneous. And then as we take that posterior interosseous, we're going to look at the muscles that we looked at today. Extensor digitorum, extensor digiti minimi, extensor carpi ulnaris, which was the one level. And then we looked at the abductor pollicis longus, extensor pollicis brevis, extensor pollicis longus, extensor indices, those outcropping muscles. We looked at those. And then if we take it down into the, into the hand, the superficial branch coming along this way, and that would be then our cutaneous distribution on the back of the hand from the superficial branch of the radial. And it's better described, well, it's easier to pick it up and describe it in the form of a picture, although that other picture that I showed gives you a, a, a quick glance at it and makes it a little bit easier. But this is what, this would be technically then what the superficial branch of the radial would be responsible for. So we've done all that. Okay? That's a sum, uh, kind of a summary of what we've looked at in that, in that process. Okay? And I think that's enough for today. <laughs>